Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. Today, I have with me Pano Ciosos, the CEO and co-founder of Learn Worlds, an all-in-one platform for creating and selling e-courses. It's designed such that brands, marketers, and agencies can craft great learning experiences for their customers. On today's episode, Pano shares his journey creating Learn Worlds and how their platform helped marketers educate their customers. All right, you guys. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Growth Podcast. I have Panos here from Learn Worlds. He's the CEO and also one of the, the three co-founders. Uh, I'm excited about having you on the podcast today, man. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thanks for making the time. Like I said, I know we've been going back and forth and um, we actually put a review up on the website that everybody's got to check out. We'll actually put that in the show notes if you want to uh, better understand. But the thing is, is I, I, we did that. We we did the review and I I was like, this isn't enough. We, we need to be able to to talk to these guys and, and be able to get them on the show. So here we are today. Once again, thanks for taking the time. The, the way that we usually run the show is we, you know, just kind of want to get to little know a little bit about yourself and then we'll kind of jump into the company and all the upsides, the good things and the fun things that you guys do. And we'll kind of take it from there. How does that sound to you? Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. Well, cool. Let's start off with yourself. Um, why don't you tell us, hey, where you're from? I want to get into a little bit of that and then like where you grew up and all that kind of fun stuff. Well, uh, I'm Greek. So I, I grew up in uh, in Greece. That also shows, I guess, from, our, from my name. The three co-founders were all Greek. Uh, so that's where we started. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've only been to Greece. I actually been to Greece twice and it is Talk about the food and the culture and amazing people. I mean, nothing but I, you know, it was like Santorini and Knox. It was like all the different islands, which, you know, you can only imagine what I was into back then. I mean, imagine potentially maybe party situation, potentially. But now I've grown up a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit, but just a little outside of that. But so cool. So you grew up there. How big was your family? I know a lot of the Greek families are usually pretty big. Uh, I think we were small for for Greek size, but... Two siblings. I have a brother who's ten years older, so he used to be the you know the always the early adopter, giving the taking the fights, so that I had an easier path, I guess, with my with my parents. So grew up uh, in a small city outside Athens, a shipyard basically, with uh, lots of uh, lots of unemployment, people working have heavy shifts, lots of uh, industrial accidents. My father was an educator, and the fathers of all three co-founders used to be teachers. So uh, we, we started by having understanding how privileged we were in this, uh, in this setting, and also what could be the transformative power of education, of being able to learn and, and uh, go ahead of, uh, above your, your position or where, I don't know, circumstances uh, put you in the first place. So I, I guess the, these are some of the very first things uh, that uh, that really uh, made a difference in what we would do eventually. So did you guys meet uh, like at an early age or was it, I mean, how, I mean, I, we're going to, cause I want to go into obviously a little bit about yourself, but I'm just intrigued by the fact that everybody's parents were, were, were teachers, were educators. Yeah, we, we didn't meet uh, in, in our younger age. We met in university. So we, we grew, we go back too, too, too far in the past, we've been knowing, we've, we've been working together for about 25 years. So we met in the university, but we had a similar, a similar path. And I guess this is, we discovered that a few years ago, that was probably one of the parts that, uh, that really brought us together, common values, common family tradition, and, uh, and the value that, uh, that we put in, in education. 
I love that. I love that. We're going to touch on that a little later. So what about, what are some interesting facts about anything when you grew up? Is there anything that, that people don't know? I mean, anything that maybe culturally or anything? I'm always kind of intrigued the way people, there's, there's always people have some kind of interesting fact. Yes. Well, I, I guess, as I mentioned, my, my very first uh, experiences were in a, in a quite difficult setting where I understood that I was privileged and that was uh, that I also understood my obligation to help other people and understood that as my father was teaching st students and kids and trying to get them to do something better with their lives, I guess this is that was a quite important formative experience uh, for me. Another formative experience was that at the age of, uh, of 12, we migrated for a couple of years in, in Germany and that, uh, uh, that gave me a quite... Uh, uh, um, a multinational approach and multicultural approach. I picked up the language. I saw the uh, the, the industrial part of uh, of Europe, like what people can do and what you can do once you have the resources in their organized society. So that was also quite uh, quite important uh, lesson for for me at that young age. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. You know, I did. My family did a lot of traveling, and it's it's kind of it's deeply engraved in me just culturally and, you know, food and culture and the way people are. I, I love that. I mean, that's one thing that I kind of pride myself on is that kind of, you know, understanding other cultures and saying, Hey, understand how people do things. Cause you know, America doesn't always have the, the best. Um, I mean, like, how do I put this nicely? I don't know. Sometimes people, you know, U S thinks that they rule everything and it's nice to go to other cultures where it's like, Hey, listen, we don't rule everything, you know, and there's some, there's some cultures out here that are actually better than that. In my opinion, when it comes to food and other stuff is actually a lot better. There's a lot of things that, that shine in other cultures um, when, you know, over the U S but anyways, we're not going to get into that today. What I do want to talk about is, are you still, are you still in Greece? Are you living? No, I, I live in Cyprus, which is close by. It's almost, almost the same thing. Different country, also part of the EU. The largest part is Greek speaking, uh, but it's also much warmer. Uh, taxation is amazing for building, for creating and building a business. I happen to be here with my, my wife. She's a university professor. So she moved in first and I had to follow in order to like to, to be together. But it happened to be a great place to set up the business and keep growing the business. Uh, I mean, from an organizational point of view, you might remember Greece was in a very deep hole a few years ago with the financial crisis. It, once we started the business, it was even uh, at some point it was getting quite difficult, especially in regards to the European customers, to get them to accept us and to, to be uh, certain that we can deliver what we were promising. While we didn't have the same thing with the U.S., we were talking with U.S. customers and people saying, wow, amazing, I've been to Santorini, happy to do business with you guys. <laughs> but there was a certain attitude for two, three years in, in, in Europe where we're talking with potential customers. And they weren't sure whether we would be part of Europe, whether we could be able to support and offer their services. So that was that was quite difficult for for us at that point, also from a uh, from a mental point of view. But it, it's also what drove us to go directly to the U.S. market and to go directly with a market that was very mature, very accepting, very uh, ready to test. A, a, an unproven, innovative product. And that is what, what gave us a, really an edge when it came to growing the business and advancing the platform. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, I mean, I do remember when there was some financial problems with Greece, but I, I think it's pretty crazy. You know, we don't realize how much that affects startups, right? And how much, I mean, right? Because it's kind of like you, you're, you're bringing up some things that I necessarily wouldn't have thought of, but you're like, wow, there are some things that absolutely were some roadblocks. You're going, wait a second, like, 
we're going to be fine. We're, you know, Greece is having some issues financially, but we're still a startup and things are going well with us and we're doing good. Don't worry. We're going to, we're stable. We've got things going, but I can only imagine it's like, you know, it's the, the things that you have to break through. I mean, it's already hard as an entrepreneur and now it makes it, you know, and then when you have your country that you're like, usually you want to say you're, your country's strong. And, and, you know, once again, we all have our, the things that they go through, but I can only imagine, but you guys made it through that. I mean, and here you are. So that's awesome. So, it was a great, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, that was a great lesson on how to grow a business. It forced us to be resilient. It forced us to be uh, cash efficient. And uh, we were a bootstrap business. So actually, we we're spending our own money and the money of uh, like parents and, and spouses. So we had, we valued every single, and, and to this day, we value every single dollar that we can get. And, uh, and that's super, super important. Like no customer, no dollar that gets into the company is uh, like uh, we, nothing we take for granted. We know that we have to fight for everything. And we try to keep that regardless of MRR and growth and all this great stuff that is happening. We still remember those days where we had to fight for, for a single euro and we try to make this part of our culture. It's absolutely important. I think that, you know, the thing is, is what we go through as a, as a company to be able to grow it. And especially if there's hard times, which are, there always is, right? I mean, it's not always just this, this trajectory of, you know, up to a million, you know, ARR, right? I mean, it, it's like, you have to be able to, there's so many things that need to happen. And I think that's awesome that it kind of like taught you guys like, Hey, we, you know, every dollar that comes in, we need to be frugal. We need to make sure know where it's going. And it, it just puts a different spin on it. I think, you know, a lot of the times startups, when they get big funding, sometimes that's obviously that can be helpful for growth and to scale. But the other side of it too, is that their burn rate becomes extremely high because it's not their money, right? And so you have a situation where you're just burning through cash and, and sometimes, you know, you gotta be real careful of that. And the, when you're putting, you know, when you're putting your dollar out and your wife's dollar out there and your wife's going, hey, you gotta make sure this is the right decision. You're like, oh, don't worry, honey, I got it. I promise, I swear, I'm pretty sure. You know, I, I get that. I get that. I think there's, there's some huge value in that. I mean, we did the same thing my son raising my son my son was like oh my kids just you know went to a private high school and he's like oh my all those my kids are you know his, all of his friends are getting like a brand new mercedes he's like what am i getting I'm like you're getting a car payment you're getting whatever you can afford like of course we chipped in and i said whatever you put in i'll, I'll match it but i'm like hey this it's a different school of thought over here you're not there's no silver lining you got to work bro i mean i work <laughs> you know got to make it happen so what was your what was your major in school what'd you major in uh, computer science. We all studied computer science. So that was, um, we started 1995. So that was, I guess, the early ages of, uh, of um, uh, internet and computing. Uh, in fact, my, my thesis was one of the first where we were, I was doing a, a new learning application working online. Active server pages back then. So we were doing some pretty crazy stuff with server-side code and JavaScript and stuff like that. Very fun days. In 95, you were talking about this? 95, we started, I was doing that. Uh, my thesis was in 1998, so it, it was quite fun. So all three of us, we studied computer science together, and then all three of us, we did postgraduate studies in e-learning. So e-learning is part of what we were training to do. We were researching, creating e-learning applications, uh, doing uh, publishing papers, going to conferences. So my PhD was on computer assisted assessment, how you can set up, you know, questionnaires and applications for assessing knowledge. That was, that's where we come from. That's awesome, man. I, I love always hearing the background. You've been around for a little while, my friend. I, I can tell you've got a little gray in your beard as I do. That shows we, I think we're a little smarter these days. I'm, you know, a lot, we've learned a lot through the years. 
Well, we we were, we created. We were going back, uh, watching some uh, some old, very old videos, some like grainy footage. We created. We started working on our very first e-learning platform back in 1999. So, as you can imagine, the the user interface was dreadful, but the features, the core of even what we offer today, was already there because the the science was already there. But there was nobody around us back then who could like nudge us to create a business. This is things that people didn't do in this part of Europe. But I don't know, 20 years ago, it was impossible to do a startup. You needed like servers and hardware and all this stuff. So it was unimaginable. So I, 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 if, if we were in the US or somewhere else, we probably could have done something similar 20 years ago, but we didn't have the know-how. We were just researchers. We were on an academic path, uh, trying to become professors and stuff like that. So this is all we knew back then. I love it. That's funny, man. I, I mean, it's just that that 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago at this point, that you guys had the idea of the e-learning thing, and then here it is coming to fruition. So, what was your what was your first job out of college? Software engineer. Right after I got my my degree, worked as a software engineer in a small business, and after a few months, uh, I think after five or six months, this it was dot com boom back then so funding started coming in so i found myself being the cto and having 10 developers working for me and with me so that that was quite uh, quite wild it lasted a couple of years at some point uh, funding dried up or customers uh, think like uh, stock uh, stock market started going down but it was a very fun ride while it lasted and it was also a great a great uh, a great experience a great lesson Uh, understanding that the value of what you offer is not necessarily uh, uh, associated with the funding or the stock market, or but you, you have to have actual customers that are paying for what you offer, and you have to offer actual value to those users. I know that's we we all learned that the hard way, didn't we? We're like, boy, when the funding dries up, now we got to figure out how to bring in money. This is terrible. Well, this is you know that's how it goes. Well, that's what we talk about that that burn rate, right? It's like, hey, you got to make sure you got the the money coming in as well. So. What I wanted to talk about was the monetization of your knowledge, and I think because of this, this currently in this in this COVID you know situation, I see a lot of people that are obviously transitioning to online, and and I'm seeing this obviously with a lot of brick and mortar businesses, and I think people not realizing and understanding that they can monetize their knowledge, right? And I kind of want to kind of want to touch on that a little bit because obviously, Learn Worlds, that's what we're looking at. Is like I think people, I think the common misconception, and I know even myself, I've dealt with this, is like. Yeah, but nobody really cares what I know, like or what I've got, right? Like, there's, there's, yeah, I've been doing this for 25 years or gotten probably longer now, but like, yeah, but I, uh, you know, I can think I can add some value to some things, but I just don't know. And I think it's the monetization, realizing that you really do that there is something there that can be really interesting. So, what I wanted to talk about was kind of because you you've done something similar. I mean, you went from like doing policy research, right? Because I, I looked at your LinkedIn, you were doing policy research to entrepreneurship. You know, and I think what you learned through that whole process and, and transitioning into entrepreneurship is very interesting in regards to how you monetize that. So kind of tell me how you, what was your process there? So uh, as researchers, we always had the niche uh, for creating actual platforms that people would use. So we were doing stuff in, the, in a university setting, academic setting. We had a couple hundred students, perhaps testing it like guinea pigs, like testing what we had built. And then we were forgetting about that. But we were always working because we were quite hands-on. So we were building our own tools and we were building our own platforms. We always wanted 
to create a business. That's something that we had in mind. That was a very slow process, so it took us a, a few years. We did different jobs after completing our PhDs. We worked on different projects, and here and there, I worked in, the, as we mentioned, I worked in, the, in Brussels for the European Union for research and innovation policy. That's the equivalent of being like in, in Congress, you know, and working for uh, for R and D. And every every few months, we were talking together uh, about the things that we could do, like. Is there a way where we can take the state of the art of e-learning, the things that we have learned, and put them into an actual product that people would pay and use? And that was a quite slow process. We started in 2011. At that point, it was becoming evident that there was demand for skills online and people were trying to find new ways to learn stuff and learn skills outside of traditional academia. And traditional academia wasn't uh, wasn't fast enough, wasn't adapting to the needs of the market. So at that point, you had companies like Linda coming online or Team Treehouse, where you could just go online and start learning, I don't know, Photoshop or web development or something like that. So at that point, we realized that all our expertise, like instructional video and computer-assisted assessment and all this theory could come together into a product that would fit to the new ways that people were learning. Because if you wanted to, and increasingly so today, if you want to become a, a web developer, probably the worst decision that you can do is go to a university and spend a few years there and get a few hundred thousands of, uh, of debt. There are faster ways to do that and better ways to do that. So even companies like Google and Facebook, they don't, I mean, they get some of the top people that come out of universities and universities for certain types of knowledge will never be, be replaced. You want your doctor coming out of the best university. But uh, uh, when it comes to Google hiring developers, they get them perhaps from a university or they train them. They want, they give them the actual portions of knowledge that they need, that they need to be uh, immediately uh, applied. So that, that was our process. And we discovered, we, we understood that there was, a, a, there was a, 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 a demand there, something that we could cover, bringing in our own expertise and creating platforms that, were, that would be much better than the things that were available out there. And, and I have to say that the main driver for us for doing something like that was that we were very as researchers, we were very pissed off by the kind of platforms that were available out there. Most of them seem to be seem to approach learning, I don't know, e-learning, just like throwing a PDF or, or, a, or a video at somebody, like giving you a, a PDF and say, okay, you have been trained. But that, that's not how we learn. That's not what you do when you learn about marketing or I, when I'm learning about entrepreneurship. You need access to the content, you need engagement, you need interactivity, you need a network of fellows and peers who will be working with you and uh, you will be in, uh, exchanging knowledge. So that was what we understood from our theory and from the practice. And uh, we thought that there is space for us to create an innovative business and make money out of it and, uh, and also help people in the process. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you, you're talking about building, it's not just training, but it's building the community, right? It's building everything around that that plays into that so that you can be successful because it isn't just reading a PDF or watching one video. It's the support behind that, right? Of being able to interact with everybody and the follow-up and interaction things that I think that become, you know, starting the groups or whatever that may be. Um, and that and that's pretty much what you guys have done at Learn Worlds, right? I mean, it's that's what you guys have built. I mean, how long ago did you guys start the company? Well, we spent, we were, I guess, anti-lean, so we spent a couple of years creating the platform almost without showing it to anybody. 
uh, that's e-learning e is and learning is a is a quite slow process and deep process. So just doing I don't know a prototype in a weekend it's not enough to measure whether you build something that is like sufficient and substantial. So it took us two years. We were perfectionist that's a that's something that we hopefully are uh, now immune to this kind of perfectionist or so we wanted to build you know the perfect platform and have everything there and in fact the first iteration of our platform probably had more features uh, in terms of e-learning than some that we have now so uh, at some point we had to make this more practical for actual users and uh, and uh, really trim some of the things that weren't so so important as the market then uh, taught us so th that's how we uh, how we started a couple of years we were spending our own money creating the business and uh, creating the, the the actual platform and then at some point we came out and started looking for uh, for uh, for customers so it, it wasn't the best kind of uh, uh, of uh, of approach in terms of like how lean uh, you can start a business with an MVP and stuff like that but I guess in our case because uh, e-learning and learning is a difficult subject probably you cannot just do with a small prototype. You have to go deep and start looking for the actual problem. Yeah, I mean, because there's there's so many moving pieces to it, right? It's like to be lean and do e-learning e is not impossible, but it's difficult because there's a lot of moving. It's not just like you're going to go do this one thing and this is it. There's a lot of factors that play in it, a lot of variables that play into that that affect the potential outcome. So I could see how going kind of big and then saying, okay, out of these, whatever, 10 features, how do we scale back to five features and then really make those the best features in regards to, you know, being able to move the product forward. Before we move on, I'd like to take a short break from this conversation. I wanted to have a word directly with all of our listeners. If you need help building a strong online presence or running your marketing campaigns, you can always contact my team. We offer services including influencer marketing, content marketing, online PR, and much more. For more details, check out my website, shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. And now back to the conversation. So in this, this whole thing we've got going on with COVID-19, how did it affect your guys' business? I mean, how did things go with you guys on your side? We're, we, we were we were lucky to already have a, a successful product with a great working funnel and uh, and uh, also some uh, some great branding. So we were quite uh, quite. We started from a great place, but COVID really uh, blew the lid off. So it was uh, the everything almost overnight after I guess the fifteenth of March, twenty twenty, when most of countries started going into lockdowns. The, the entire funnel uh, really tripled almost overnight. So everything about, you know, acquisition and all the channels, organic and affiliates and the conversions, everything started working much, much better. So it was great that we were already in that place. And in fact, we, we, we truly believe that uh, COVID didn't just, didn't, invent things out of the box or didn't just foment changes out of the, I don't know, out of thin air, but it really multiplied trends that were already there. So everything that we had been doing in the past few years, building the platform, creating our branding and creating the tools uh, for the early adopters, COVID really made this self-evident to everybody that now you have to be online. 2020 will be remembered for many years and there was lots of devastation around the world and, and lots of uh, loss for, for, for our fellow uh, humans. But uh, 
it's also the year that learning turned digital. So everybody understands now that you need to have a business model. And even if you, I mean, things will go back to normal, hopefully soon. There's lots of things that will, that will change. But I don't think that at any point a business will get, I don't know, 200 employees in a hotel for five hours of PowerPoint training. This will never happen again. Hopefully we'll get in a hotel, I don't know, for a cocktail or something or a party, but not for training. There are other ways to do that, much more efficient, effective, measurable, and uh, and scalable. That And, and this is what all, everybody now understands. So if, even those that thought that learning is like a nice to have, and I'm a trainer, I have my day business, or I have my training business, I travel, or I do what kind of, of webinars, they realize that e-learning now is a must-have. And also, the, the scaling potential is immense. Like, if you're a trainer, I don't know, yoga trainer, coach, whatever, how many hours per week can you teach? Like 40, 50, 60, if you're lucky, and, and then probably you're, you're exhausted. But once you take your business online, then you're no longer limited by the number of students you can reach in your city or in your in your country. You can have a global audience available to you 24-7 for, for selling your courses. And this is the, the switch that people did so that we, we truly believe and we see it by customers every day that even when hopefully COVID goes away very, very soon, the way of doing business online and the way of training will have changed forever. And, and we want to be part of the solution for the post-COVID era of learning, where we'll try to do things much, much better and much, scale, much more scalable for our users. Yeah, you guys are in the right place at the right time. I, I'll tell you, so I do think the, you know, the COVID, everything, the COVID situation obviously has affected the world. I mean, I, I do know that obviously because of remote working, and I think remote working and e-learning were the two things that were absolutely, I mean, you know, now you have Google and you have everybody saying, hey, everybody can work remote, which is awesome. Guess what that means? That means e-learning, right? So that naturally plays into e-learning. You guys were right place, had the concept. I mean, you guys only started this 20 years ago, conceptually, right? And then you guys all of a sudden, boom, happened. And then you're like, yes, man, we're the right place, right time. And good things are happening. And what I want to touch on a little bit at the end of this is, um, is when we talk about, because we, we talk about, you kind of talked about, about, you know, if you're a yoga instructor, obviously, if you're working, let's say 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're working 60, then you're probably, you know, anyways, probably extremely tired of the week. And you can only work those that many hours with a local setting, right? With a local, you know, clientele. And obviously, e-learning and learn worlds bring opens that to, up to the world. So how would you, let's say if I'm a, a local yoga instructor, I mean, how do you monetize your knowledge? Like, how do you do something like that? What would you recommend in that situation? Uh, it's uh, uh, sometimes I say that online courses are the ebooks of 2020. Everything that uh, uh, we used to do, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago with an ebook where you can position yourself as an expert and that you can grow your personal brand or uh, start get, uh, attracting leads for your business and more importantly, directly monetizing or selling a digital product. This is, you can do that now much more effectively with an online course. So the easiest thing that people can do is just create a free course. We always say that this is the best lead magnet that we have experienced. We are creating uh, checklists and eBooks for our business as well. Online courses are the best lead magnet that you can create. So starting from that, you can create an amazing funnel, attracting more people even to your main business or to your shop. This is something that that can uh, uh, it's it's quite 
it's quite important that education is the best form of marketing. It's very subtle. You, it's not pushy. It's not aggressive. You're not selling. You're giving to people something valuable. And uh, so the first part is to just get them through the door. And you can do that very, very easily with a free mini course. Uh, we, we always say to people, sometimes we try to create a, a free course that is quite big and elaborate, a few hours of learning. You don't have to do that. You can just start you can just start by teaching a concept for 10 or 20 minutes, something that your customers or your audience is interested about. You can start just by that. And then you can, once you validate that there's sufficient demand around that subject, that people are willing to hear you out and see what you have to do, then you can create a paid offering. It's as easy as that. And you can play your strengths. You can use video if you're working with that. You can use text. You can use audio. You can use assessments. It's very, very easy now to create multiple forms of, of knowledge and multiple types of knowledge. Combine them in a nice package and you have a digital, a digital product to sell. It's, it's quite, we're always uh, amazed by how inventive our customers are and the different types of courses that they can create and the different niches that they address. Uh, so uh, it doesn't have to be an academic subject or it doesn't have to be something very, very elaborate. We've seen some amazing niche businesses being created on, on, on very interesting uh, subjects and people making good money on top of those subjects. I love that. I love that. I mean, I, I, that's, I, mean, I just love it because it's like the, the thing is, is because we're going heavy into the courses too. Because I, you know, used to teach a class over at UCLA and I've done pl plenty of trainings and classes and stuff. But, but the e coursing, I love that you said that 20, like, like, you know, ebooks were, you know, so whatever 2019 and before. And now we've got courses being 2020 and above is like, hey, like, let me show you the knowledge, right? There's one thing to read an ebook or to kind of do some things out and let me go ahead and do a display and, and actually show you what we got going on. Um, I love that because once again, I, I think that's going to be a, a big thing in regards to the future, especially when you talk about it being from a lead generation perspective, right? Being able to pull in leads for that, having a, uh, and I also love the fact that it doesn't have to be any, a lot of people think it needs to be, you know, 19 videos and this all an hour long and this and you need to go spend, you know, $100,000 to do that. You don't, you know, it can be a mini course. People have the mini courses to pull in for lead gen to be able to pull in some people for, to buy into a bigger course or buy into whatever else you've got going on the backside. Thanks, Panos. It's been an intriguing conversation, and I'm sure our audience has learned a lot about why businesses need to monetize their knowledge. Our learning does not stop here, though, dear listeners. In fact, in the next episode, Panos tells us about how your business can launch a successful online course.